Hello and welcome to the Grass Track Banter Podcast. This is episode number 13. My name's Gareth Bemister, your host and your guide through the wonderful world of grass track racing. And joining me as always are three of my very close friends. First of all, 250 rider Ben Ilsley. How you doing, Ben? Gareth, not too bad, mate. Bit down in the dumps. I should be in Spain right now, but I'm sat in my front room talking to you. Yeah, not good at the minute, but uh, been getting new stickers for the bike and new bits for the bike though so still looking keen yeah i think it'll be in there for a while yet mate (laughs) yeah we'll get on to that but uh fired the bikes up this week though ben yeah it was good just to get them um get them running which is which is nice first time so nice yeah nice smell as well i expect nice nice to get the fumes again yeah so joining me and ben is another 250 rider wimble whopper champion russell little how you doing russ Good evening, Gareth. How are you? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. Getting there. Back to school tomorrow. Big day. Oh, so, yeah. Hope you've done your homework. <laughs> That's right. Uh, joining Russell and Ben and myself is the poster producing guru and Mr. Fixture List. It's Luke Russell. How you doing, Luke? Hello, all. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Gareth. Now, we had the. Uh, we were just talking before we came on air. We had the inaugural F1 2019 uh, Grass Track Banter Grand Prix last night and. Uh, it was very excited, wasn't it, Russell? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, there was a few mishaps along the way, wasn't there? But it was a good laugh. Yeah, lots of mishaps, and uh, we we managed to do three races. And uh, Jake Fumarola, uh, aided by his dad, who was in the room with him at the time, he won the first race in Australia, and then uh, Luke managed to win the second race at Bahrain, and then uh, Liam Ashcroft won the third race. So it was grass trackers all the way through. But uh, at the moment, Luke, you sit on top of the table. Yeah. And I was, you uh, you moan about how fast I am, so it was nice to actually have some competition last night. Oh dear, dearie me! Got it in early. Got it in early. Yeah, that's what that's <laughs> what he's been saying the whole time. He's just glad to have some faster races. So we'll see. We'll Damon's see. Up, Damon's off again, isn't he? Now yeah. Damon Hill, he's off again. Oh, <laughs> he's full of it, isn't he? Well, we uh, we've obviously been trying to fill the time with uh, with playing on Xboxes and doing virtual British Masters onlines and quizzes and all sorts of things but uh, we've got lots of news coming regarding this season obviously at the minute we've not got going and there's a few glimmers of hope which we're hoping to cover in the news in the next segment hopefully we'll have a, a few different bits of news we've had fair few correspondents come in we had quite a lot of people emailing the show which is brilliant so please keep emailing the show that's grassstrapbanterpodcast at outlook.com uh, and Jay Sayer uh, once again got in touch with us uh, this week um, and he's talked about the uh, all of the stuff to do with what the ACU have released, basically, with the guidance for the coronavirus, if we are going to run. So we'll sort of get into what Jay said when we get to the news. But uh, we had a very long email from Eric Pike. Now, uh, lots of you will know that Eric used to race several years ago, but he was making a comeback in 2020 in the upright class. But obviously, he's had to shelf that. And he had some really, well, he had loads of different things that he talked about in the email. Uh, we had a skim through, boys, didn't we? It was it was quite an epic email, though. It was a, there was a few paragraphs there, wasn't there? Yeah. So sort of some of the highlights, really. He was talking about sort of government restri- government restrictions for 2020, and he was really looking at at 2021 more than anything else, and coming up with some different ideas. But he thinks that you know this season ought to be sort of shelved, really, and we should be looking at 2021 and how to build the sport, which is not a bad point, really. I suppose Ben is it like it's, it does give us a bit of breathing space, maybe. Yeah, Eric raised some good points, and it's clear he put a lot of thought into that email, sort of the the main uh, content of it. But uh, I think the basis of the email was around 
like you say, building plans for 2021 and what we can do to help sort of kickstart the sport again in in the new year. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things he was sort of getting at was that we need to really, or clubs really, are needing to think about some things to do with the sport, and it's it's time to really start to think about you know how to go forward. So, what he's saying is there might be a bit of a legacy to some of the things. And Luke, you might be able to help with this because it's all, his first point was about clubs and all the things, all the considerations that clubs have to make. So obviously there's new virus regulations, um, but he uh, raised some good points. So heavy reliance on elderly club members, which we've talked about actually, haven't we? We've talked about the fact that obviously elderly people at the moment are at a great risk of the coronavirus. And we've talked about the fact that it's mostly elderly people that are sort of, you know, putting up the tracks and doing a lot of the work. Yeah, uh, we've de- we've discussed, I don't know if we did it on uh, the last episode, but I know we've discussed it between us that, I mean, talking from Frittenden, um, I mean, the tracks, the field's not even been looked at since pretty much our last meeting. The guys that run it, they're in the, the at-risk category, so they're still self-isolating at the minute. So I'd imagine that's the same for a lot of clubs. So it's, yeah, it's hard to, to get anything going at the minute when those that do the track maintenance and that sort of thing aren't even, um, or shouldn't be going out at the minute. Yeah, and... Uh, one of the things that Eric talks about is a uh, grass track should be adopting a more innovative and cooperative approach. And uh, you know, you're, we we know that we've got all these great clubs around the around the country, but they don't tend to work together very much, do they? Um, no, I mean, with the track side, probably probably not. I mean, you get I know in the southeast there's there's a good bunch of uh, people that do go from uh, meeting to meeting, helping put up, but the 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 core main team, no, they pretty much stick to their own. Uh, own field own track um, own club but they do help out others um. yeah so that I'll sort of read to you what he's sort of come up with for the clubs he said that obviously I said that heavy reliance on elderly club members but uh, lack of assistance to run a meeting financial situation of the club financial situation of the competitors clash of meeting dates amount of meetings cancelled through lack of competitors now that's something that doesn't happen very often anymore it used to about five or six years ago we were rife with that but it doesn't seem to be so much anymore uh, more considerations that are there now and are going to carry on is cost of paramedics, cost of the PA system, cost of higher plant machinery, the cost of printing the programs and the various posters, cost of insurance, the cost of toilets. I mean, lots of things like that. The, the club's resources and keeping all that going as well. The track stakes, the ropes, the start gate, all of that stuff. And he says, do clubs wish to just run a meeting, just hoping to break even or promote a meeting for profit and advance their club and the sport? you know what's their business model is what he says and i know that uh you know clubs sort of hold that sort of quite close to their chests don't they luke but um you know most most clubs run to just break even i think don't they yeah um i think most literally run one meeting uh to then get enough to then uh run the next one um i mean it's not quite all doom and gloom that if, if they have a bad meeting they can't run another one but yeah there's not a a big pool of cash unfortunately sort of floating around in grass track where clubs can have fancy posters and websites and all that sort of stuff that you see like the big massive motorsports where they've got it everywhere i mean even for you know, i mean we've done uh, like facebook advertising where we've actually paid to have adverts on um there's no sort of way to sort of measure whether that's um, effective or not but unless you've got lots and lots of money from somewhere then I'd imagine that might stay the same, at least for the, the time being. Yeah, I think that, uh, 
you know it's expensive running a grass track i think it's there's it, very little to get away from that but um you know it's interesting that he's brought those things you know he's thought about the fact that those things are going to be very prevalent given the current crisis uh, and they'll continue to to be so but i'll just talk competitors russell and you can sort of chip in here if if uh, these are the considerations that have always been there but uh, are fairly sort of prevalent at the moment obviously riders financial situation russ is something you've mentioned before uh, cost of machinery and we've talked about that endlessly on the show the cost of maintaining machinery the cost of spares cost of getting to the meetings the cost of getting the family into the meeting um do the family consider or do the uh competitors sorry consider they're getting value for money for the time and effort riding grass track or is it better value oh this pains me to say this eric said is it is it better value to ride motocross for example to get more seat time i mean uh i don't know what your thoughts are on that um i'll brutally honest i think um the last sentence there about the seat time in motocross um yeah motocross is far better value sadly than grass track maintenance wise obviously it depends depends uh, what class you're riding in what what sort of engines you're riding i dare say uh ben's maintenance costs are a damn sort higher than mine uh, with my uh, obviously motocross engine um i'll change your oil every few meetings filter every two or three meetings and that'll be it for the season whereas obviously the jowls and the gms have got a certain shelf life you know sort of 10 meetings and the 250 jowls are sort of getting ready to go bang really and needing a rebuild so maintenance costs uh, yeah they do vary um obviously tires as well ben probably goes for a few more back tires than me in a season costs of getting the family in obviously that's that's by the by really if your family want to go obviously you're gonna have to pay for them to get in obviously as you know amy and the girls come sometimes it's like the kent meetings but uh, invariably i do sort of travel on my own um it's not fair me dragging them around the country for for my satisfaction uh but they're they're all very very valid uh, points in my opinion yeah his one, last one his point um i just wanted to sort of pick up on was the was receipt time and um yeah we, we can't disagree that in terms of um time on track you, you're going to get so much more on on motocross because the tracks are bigger the laps are longer and uh, and the races last longer but i think it, it's it's not a comparative because we are such a specialized sport yeah um and i think the attraction to grass track is where it's unique and everybody everyone knows that and for me, it was nothing like going into a corner sideways with no brakes. Yeah. So the fact that we're only on the bike a minute and a half a race, to me, that that's irrelevant because two practices, uh, four races is enough for me because <laughs> I couldn't hang on much more than that. No. <laughs> no, I know I couldn't. I know I couldn't on the back of a sidecar. But it's, yeah, it's hard to explain to people, isn't it? But it's... Um... It's explosive. Speedway and grass track are the same. They are explosive sports, aren't they? Whereas motocross uh, and road racing, they're a little bit more sort of tactical, a little bit more to it. Uh, they're not. They're not a, an explosion that you get at grass track and speedway. So it's. It's. You're absolutely right. It's. They're not comparative. Uh, the last thing that Eric just said is, do you do youth riders see a future? I'm just sort of leave. Going to leave this hanging. I think. Do youth riders see a future in grass track when they're coming up through the ranks? Or do they see no option but to go on to Speedway for a clear career and progression? Now, uh, we've got Joe Screen coming up later on in the show, and he talks a little bit about that. And, um, yeah, I'm sort of going to leave that hanging there a little bit because everyone who listens knows that it's something that gets on my goat, is that we cultivate this, these absolute superstars in grass track, and then they clear off to Speedway, 
and most of them do a few seasons and then give up. So um, I think I'll just leave that there. But the, Eric goes on to talk about an awful lot of things. He talks about spectators as well. He talks about the ACU. Uh, he talks about his time helping out with the Ace of Aces back in the 90s as well. And, and obviously the Aces has been a yardstick for many, many years. And I think we'll come back to Eric's uh, email next time because there's an awful lot of information in there. And he, has, he does actually start to give some solutions and some answers to some of the points he makes. Um, but there's an awful lot to get through, so I think we'll um, we'll definitely put that on the back burner. But thanks, Eric, for getting in touch because it's really was quite really an interesting read for us and gave us a lot to think about, a lot to talk about. So much, in fact, that we we've, we've sort of started there, gone about 20 minutes. And I think we need to move on, but hopefully we'll uh, we'll catch up with that in episode 14. So that's to look forward to. Uh, we had um, our anonymous friend who often gets in touch come on as well this week and talking to us about uh, motocross classes. Something they tried at Frittenden, Luke, several years ago, but I think only for a meeting. Yeah, um, I think we only had it because we were at the time struggling for uh, solo riders, especially in the 250s and 350s. Um, and then I think within a couple of meetings, the numbers of both of those had come up, so we didn't didn't need it. It was basically just to fill the the program. Um, personally, though, I, I think motocross should stay with motocross. There's, I mean, I've marshaled a few motocrosses across the last. A uh, couple of years, and there's there's so many venues they use, even just down here in in Sussex. And we've discussed many times how many classes there are in grass. Having motocross as well is just another one to add in another four races into the program. This uh, this particular listener is all about accessibility, so getting people into the sport via a simple access point. And uh, obviously, lots of motocross bikes are um, quite commercially available, so there's that for it. But I tend to agree with you, Luke, and, and my reason actually is the fact that they race them out abroad, and anyone that listened to Yannick de Jong's interview will have heard that in Holland they're very popular, uh, so popular in fact that they've sort of they've started the downturn of grass track racing or grass track bikes, so you do get a lot of motocrossers that enter the meetings over in Holland. Uh, but it's for the de- at the detriment of the actual grass track, so I would fear that that would so, happen. That's similar in Australia as well, Gareth. If you look at the uh, at some of the Australian stuff, there's more more motocross bikes than uh, than sliders, as they refer to them, grass track bikes to us. Yeah, and I think on Guernsey, I think they do, they tend to get more motocrossers than they do uh, sliders out there. So I'm all I think, for. I think, like you said, Gareth, it just comes down to the commercial ability um, viability of the bikes, isn't it? They're 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 off the shelf, aren't they? As such, and there's a lot more uh, motocross bikes available than than grass track bikes. It's a bigger market for them. Yeah, and that's what that's what they're sort of that's what he's sort of getting at, really. But um, yeah, I think that the, the traditionalist in me finds it very difficult to accept. But you know, lots of everyone's entitled to their opinion, and some of the points he raises are actually really really good. But uh, I would hate to see sort of motocross classes overtake mainstream grass track classes over here, like they did in Holland, and and then suddenly lots of your talented grass trackers start going off to do motocross instead. Uh, although you could argue they go off to do speedway anyway, so it doesn't make much difference. It's, uh, really. it's an interesting point. I know, I know Pickering have a have a motocross class. Yeah, like, he mentions that actually, loose, and so. he mentions the uh, the run, uh, what do you call it, in, inappropriate bike class he mentions in his email yeah. as well. I know, I know the, the motocross classes, it has converted a number of riders into, into grass track. Tim Gregg being one of them namely and I think maybe Lee Gray as well I'm not I'm not sure right I know they they both started at Pickering on the motocross yeah and then 
Well, Lee Gray's getting a lot of mentions on the podcast at the moment. He, he's becoming the new Trevor Stewart, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he's the Tre- Trevsky of the North, yeah. Lee Gray. Yeah, I think Lee's very keen, isn't he? And he's he's always at the picker in events. Yeah. He's quite active on the banter group as well on Facebook. So Yeah, I'd love yeah, to see good. him at the Brits, actually. We've talked about that before, haven't we? Yeah, it'd be good to see Lee travelling a bit more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, just good to face different riders, isn't it, now again? But... I was just going to come back to what I just said. Um, it's quite interesting because a lot of clubs incorporate a quad class yeah. to their meetings now. We see them more regular than than a motocross class, um, but we don't see any quad riders converting to grass track. No, that's true. That's true. I have mentioned uh, to Nick and Chris Wright, I think, about getting a sidecar before, but I don't think they could decide who's going to drive the thing. quite like to yeah. see them. I think they'd go quite well, but yeah, yeah interesting. I think- I think um, clubs have used it like Frittenden, um just to supplement the entry and attract uh, another another range of entry fees. Yeah, and I think the quads are the same to a degree. Yeah. I think that that's sort of why they've come about because there was a, a hole in the program to have them, and they're bloody good in some places as well. I mean, yeah, at Cornwall, yeah, they're really good. Nothing against the quads because they um, they do put on some cracking racing, don't they? Yeah, yeah they're they good do. good track grader, aren't they? Yeah, they, lots of people say that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, one last email just to run past you boys. Uh, Gavin Davis got in touch, um, and he said he's been he's obviously been going on a bit of a grass strap banter marathon because he's he's referred to quite a few of our episodes here. He's gone through all of them. So, what do you think of these? He says uh, he's come up with some grass strap drinks for the grass strap banter bar. He's come up with Gary Moonshine uh, and a Rob Snowball. I'm not sure about them. He's uh, he's gone with a retired. We had the retired too soon uh, final. He went with Jamie Rogers. I think somebody said Jamie Rogers. Uh, Richard Musson as well. I don't know if any of you can remember Richard Musson. Yeah, yeah, I remember Richard. Uh, won a poacher, didn't he? Did he? Mm. Yeah, he was European champion as well. But he was a fantastic rider. But I think he went missing. I think didn't he? He went went uh, went missing a while ago. But he also talked about the better than your dad. Um, episode, which was back a long, quite a long time ago, and I think that was on the Graham Hurry episode, possibly. And he said Paul Hurry, but I think we didn't say Paul Hurry because of it was Graham and Paul that was the reason why we were doing that that theme. Uh, and he came up with this week's lockdown uh, um, idea for the end of the show, so you'll have to wait for that. That's coming up later. So yeah, it's nice to hear from Gavin. And if you've got any ideas about any of our uh, or, or some ideas to throw forward for us from any of our past um, episodes do get in touch with us grassstrapbanterpodcast at outlook.com thank you very much to Gavin and to our anonymous um, motocross person I don't know how to speak so how to say them Eric Pike as well and Jay getting in touch as well all the people that get in touch it's really great to hear from you we've got several guests coming up in a moment I know that they're waiting on the phone so we're going to have to get a bit of a move on we've got uh, Steve Palmer from the Ledbury Club coming up um, to talk to us about the the sort of British Championships for 2020 and we've got Neil Wadoops as well from the VMCC and Will Penfold's joining us as well from GTSA and obviously uh, Will three times British champion himself so uh, but he's coming on to represent GTSA so we'll hear from them in a moment Uh, Graham Hurry and Matt Weir are coming on next episode for episode 14 so we've got that to look forward to Graham's going to come on and talk about the British Masters um, and plans for that or potential plans for that and Matt Weir obviously is in a bit of a sticky situation or his club is Midshire's club and we'll talk about that in the news in a second and Matt's going to come on next time and talk to us about that also we've got our, our outside the pegs interview is with Joe Screen and it was brilliant to catch up with Joe that will take us through two episodes because I spoke to Joe for about 50 minutes so 
Um, we'll have the first part on this episode, and then on uh, episode 14, we'll hear the second part of that Joe Screen interview. So lots and lots to pack in to episode 13 of the Grass Track Banter podcast. Place. They are absolutely arm in arm. You could put a pocket handkerchief over those two as they come round that corner. You could get them both in the back of a van. So now it's time for the news on the Grass Track Banter podcast, and we've got quite a bit to get through. We've, first of all, we're going to sort of try and talk about some of the things that have come from the ACU. Uh, now, the Track Racing Committee met on Tuesday, or like last Tuesday, um, and there was an awful lot of sort of we didn't know what to do really until the 4th of July, because uh, this 4th of July date is, is uh, sort of in line with the government at the moment on phase three I believe it is and that's when sort of some decisions can be made but no sooner had the meeting finished uh, and we decided that there will definitely be no permits until the 4th of July uh, some practice days and things started to pop up um, and I know that there are a few practice days that are starting to come about now and some people are starting to consider them and one club that sort of had a had a think about doing the the practice day and then changed their minds was GW Racing and um, I think we all sort of followed that, Ben, didn't we? But they sort of, I think they looked into it a little bit more and there were several reasons that they couldn't run in the end. Yeah, I think ultimately there's um, a club is for running the meeting is for, for fun, I guess, for the members. And with the restrictions in place and the adapt, adaptions that need to be made, it just kind of takes the fun out of it and applies a lot more stress, doesn't it, at the moment? Yeah, and they sort of, they put the date in and lots of people were interested, as you can imagine. Uh, and then they... The, the state of the track was it they said it was far too dry which i can imagine it probably is um and it just it's just a huge job at the moment i mean some of the things that the acu have sort of put in place make it virtually impossible to run a grass track in my in my opinion you know no two-day events well you know i can that we can get around that no problem no youth racing well that's that's a bit of a kick because uh you know youth's a big part of grass track these days uh no sidecars really now one of the things that Jay said was uh, he said maybe he said the bit regarding sidecars is worrying maybe the left-handers will be okay because the passenger sits on the sidecar wheel and the driver's two metres away but that's quite a big sidecar I think if you're two metres away but yeah no sidecars Luke I mean obviously that'll be uh, we, we literally just said just a second ago nobody's passengering anything at the minute no um yeah, we'll have to just wait and see, and um, yeah, I don't think there'll be any race. So I think once uh, once everyone can get going, then I think the sidecars will be included, to be honest, especially where um, grass track's concerned, to be honest. It's quite hard to sort of accept, especially given the fact that, you know, today both of us, Luke, work in schools, and it's, it's you know, all hands on deck virtually, and there's, you know, you're coming into contact with a lot of people. You see the scenes of people all over the beaches at the weekends. Um, there's certainly a bigger crowd there than you're going to get at a grass track meeting. Uh, but you you know no sidecar seems a little bit flippant but yeah it's it's sort of hard to unpick it really yeah i mean uh, i mean the whole lockdown i've um, i've been working every single day um, and i've come in contact with hundreds of people um and even even today as the schools are sort of opened back up a little bit people are still in contact and i'm in contact with more people i am at work in one day than i would be at a, a grass track so uh, work that out now one of the other things that have come up you know some really sort of things that are at detriment of grass track no spectators allowed well we've talked about that ben haven't we it just is it's just not viable is it no it's the main source of income other than rider entries so any any club who's going to put on a meeting yeah is going to lose probably three and a half four thousand pounds worth of spectator entry income straight away yeah um, i don't think there'd be anyone willing to take that 
that sort of um, financial risk. No, it'd be a shame to risk something like that, and uh, and then it caused a real problem for the club. Um, no overnight camping as well. I mean, it sounds sort of a bit flippant, but you know, grass tracks all about the weekend away, Russ, isn't it? It's, you know, it's half half of the battle is getting everyone there the Saturday night before. Uh, yeah, it is, Gareth. It's a uh, good social, isn't it, on the Saturday night, especially before a big meeting. But as you say, you know, that's that's just one one little step, isn't it, to overcome. Uh, if we could run a meeting without being able to camp, I, I don't think we'd be too bothered, would we? No, it'd be okay. I mean, that's that's not too bad. It just means that, as we've said before, you can't have the big meetings. Um, and then this last point that, that sort of came from the ACU, and this is the ACU, not the TRC. I just want to stress because uh, the TRC is sort of taking their directions from the ACU. Uh, only one rider, only the rider and one additional person allowed to a meeting. Um, now that at grass track there aren't many people that go I know that Ben you've gone a couple of times just yourself and one additional person but Russell's already said you know the girls often come with him you know if if we're going racing often there's people with us there's a big crowd of you and it seems very difficult to imagine a grass track that's any different um yeah I mean I, I don't really see that being too much of an issue unless you've got an avid following from um from the family really um yeah, lots of people do though. I think lots of yeah, you know. I think, yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, you've, just a couple of families that spring to mind. Them, obviously, you've got the Bennett, haven't you? Yeah, a big grass track family, um, but all travel together to the meetings. So, it, yeah, I think that would that would be disappointing. Well, I think if, the the, uh, the thing that sort of the thing that makes grass track special, as we've mentioned time and time again, it's not just what's going on on the track. It's not just the racing. It's everything else around it. You know, people spend thousands and thousands of pounds on big camper vans, on all their camping gear, on all of their, you know, stuff that goes around the racing. Now, I think if you take that away, and if you take away camping, and you take away youth racing, and you take away sort of no sidecars, suddenly you, you've got a very sort of, a very basic, unappealing sport for a lot of people. Uh, and that really does worry me a little bit. Yeah, it's not just the racing, is it? it like, like Russell said, it's the social interaction on the Saturday to the build up to the meeting a lot of people now travel because of the distances involved uh, have a barbecue on a Saturday night and, and chill out with their grass track family and um, yeah it, it wouldn't be the same would it I mean if you're a rider out there and you're listening you're probably thinking well it doesn't matter I'll just go and ride my bike uh, but if you're a spectator or if you're an organiser you know it's it's unquestionable you don't run a meeting like if, if no one else can go there it's, it's very different uh viewpoints and just, jay jay just, had a lot to say on it there was just playing devil's advocate quickly gareth if you could run a meeting without spectators is one for ben really if you could run a meeting without spectators and the rider pay an extra supplement to cover the crowd loss would you race uh yeah you would you would but it would be quite a, a hefty supplement i know being, being totally honest here but we I mentioned the number earlier on in the podcast. Um, as most listeners know, I'm involved with the secretary side of the, the club at um, Waterlooville. And we we made a £180 profit on our meeting last year. Now, we didn't advertise it or push it too hard because we had a disappointing meeting in 2017. So we just wanted to kind of run a lo- bit of a low-key event just to make sure we got the the bearings of the field and the track was good etc but we attracted a, a fair crowd of 350 spectators who paid 10 pound to get in now 
that three and a half thousand pound income was a difference between making or breaking. So if you divide that by, I don't know. So simple sums, just over a hundred, it's 35 quid, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So but on top of what you're paying already, that's uh, 65, yeah. so, you know, 68 quid. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the motocross tracks are ramping up their prices yeah. to uh, claw some money back. Yeah. yeah. It's one. It's a very good point, Russell, and it might be something to consider. Just a couple of things that uh, Jay said in his email that I just want to talk to you about, as well as the left-hand passenger thing. Um, he said, uh, the idea of sanitising toilets at an ACU event every time someone uses them will not work. No one else seems to do it. Uh, public toilets and things. Uh, and it's in the risk assessment. <laughs> you, you need to have someone sanitising the toilets after every single person going in there at the moment. I mean, I'm not sure I, I'd want that job, Luke. Who's going to do it for Frittenden, do you think? Uh, it just it just won't happen, will it? Absolutely no, no chance. See, st- stuff like this I find baffling, because obviously on the trains, the, the toilets aren't getting cleaned every time someone goes in the toilet on the train. I can I can assure you of that. You're not doing your job properly then, Russ? Oh, it, it get, it get, it'll, get cleaned, it'll get cleaned on the turnaround at like Victoria, and then at the, at the other end, but it's not getting cleaned after somebody uses it every time. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, in a school, it's totally different. different. Not too much bigger than a portal, is it, really? And there's more splashes as well, because you get moved around all over the place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's been a few splashes in the portal, isn't there, when there's someone blocking them? That's true, yeah. Yeah, it depends on how heavy the Saturday night is, I suppose. But yeah. he, uh, Jay also says that what's happening with the Masters, is it still on? Well, we've got Graham coming on next week to talk to us about that. What's happening with Midshires? maybe get Matt Weir on well he's coming on next time as well so that's all we've got those ticked Jay uh, but just talking about Midshires quickly boys uh, I was ama- absolutely amazed to see that the FIME the European um, sort of organisation for motorcycles uh, in conjunction with Tayac in France they announced the date for the one of the semi-finals for the European I was absolutely astounded to see that they'd done that at the time that they did it wasn't even at the end of may it's put midshire's club in a very sticky situation now hasn't it yeah it really has because you know they've they've uh, sort of said that they're going to run now the the trc that we met on tuesday we're now in a position where we need to look at who's riding where because bielefeld which was the first semi-final is is cancelled that's not happening so there's only going to be one semi-final so the qualifying places changed slightly none of that's confirmed yet Tyak, of course, have said that they're going to run. Um, you know, and the FIME have pushed pushed ahead with it. And Midshires have got a situation now whereby they're going to be put under an awful amount of pressure to run that meeting if the semi-final goes ahead. But, of course, France and England are going to be completely different rules. I just don't know how it's going to be. It just seems really, you know, a little bit strange that that would happen. Well, if if our quarantine rules come into place, as, as they're scheduled to... The riders are going to have to drive straight from Tayac, straight to Dover, or, or Calais, sorry, uh, straight through the tunnel or, or across the sea, and into quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. And even then, that that they've got to literally do it that Sunday. Yeah. And obviously, if if the final then goes ahead, I mean, I would imagine the track staff would need to be in that situation. Um, any paramedics that you're having, I guess they would need to be in that bubble as well. Like just. At the moment, it doesn't seem like it could happen. Um, obviously, we'll talk to Matt next time and he might have a few more insights. But yeah, I was absolutely shocked to see that. 1st of August is the date, though, for Tayak for the first, well, the only semi-final of the FIME Grass Track Championship. So potentially it could be the first sort of meeting of the year for several British riders, which again brings its own sort of pr- 
problems. I've never ridden a solo, Ben, but I'd imagine uh, you wouldn't want your first meeting to be the European semi. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, Although you want to have a few meetings to get back into the swing of it. Yeah, yeah, seemed a bit strange. Seems a bit strange, but... Um, Obviously, we've seen that Speedway's starting in Poland now, and uh, the restrictions in place there, Russell, were, you know, it's starting to... I listened to the Calvin Tatum podcast last week, and the restrictions that Jason Doyle's under, if we're, you know, if we're even thinking of doing anything like that, it's just not going to happen. No, I mean, riders were all, obviously, all holed up uh, for, for two weeks um, in various locations. Obviously, the club sorted out the accommodation, I believe, for where they all stayed. Um, they were supplied watching Jason's uh, Instagram has been quite funny um, but they've been supplying all the food and the meals etc um, and then obviously they all had to go and be tested on the same day they all passed um, and, and now they all seem to be out practicing most days yeah. at their uh, respective uh, stadiums they're uh... I mean, it's it's a professional sport, obviously, so it's different to grass track, but the restrictions in place would be very similar. You know, the quarantine stage, you couldn't do that with grass track. Even the European final, you couldn't quarantine people. I don't know who would fit the bill for hotels for two weeks. I don't know who would fit the bill for din- dinners for two weeks. It's just, it's just, it's an impossible situation. So unless the guidance changes on the 4th of July so significantly uh, that things are relaxed to a point where we can uh, you know those things aren't needed anymore and we can just travel around the country and we can travel to other countries which is obviously vital uh, then it's not going to happen simple as that it's just not going to happen in my opinion <laughs> but there we go we'll have to just uh, well we'll wait to hear what Matt says uh, in a couple of weeks we've um, you know we'll be interested to keep an eye on what's going on in Tyak and see what they're going to come up with but last of all we're going to talk about the British Championship events so we talked about the Euros and now the British Championships events now we're lucky enough to have Ben with us Ben Ilsley who is uh, you may have heard of him uh, now Ben's obviously um, involved with the Waterlooville Club and you guys were going to run the Upright Championships but obviously that got cancelled quite early on Ben yeah obviously being so near the, the 4th of July date um, we held on as long as we could um, but the event plan to go on the 5th of July it was just too um too soon to even consider um, getting all the supplies in place that are needed to put the meeting on. So, yeah. yeah, made an early decision. I mean, I'm not feeling too optimistic that it'll run again. I'm not sure this year. Um, it all depends on what happens, but I think if anything does happen within the sport, I think we're probably going to be looking at September at the earliest, I would imagine, for club meetings. Um, but like like I said, that's being really optimistic and whether or not we can fit a date in around other clubs. But I'd like to think if the country does get to a stage of a new normal and spectators are allowed to run, attend I should say, that uh, clubs running these, these ACU events would get would get presidents to run them in the fixture list this year. Um, I don't know. It's all if buts and maybes at the moment a lot of people have suggested kind of just not even considering running this year and just picking it up next year with the with the new normal but we'll see yeah well i mean the upright championships obviously was supposed to run in a month in a month's time and at the moment well we know it's not going to run on that date but probably not going to run this year um and that's that's okay i guess because there's always a chance to run it next year but luke we should have had the youth championships uh last week or the week before uh, at Frittenden and lots of people were very excited about that obviously that didn't happen um, so what's the plan there for, for potentially running the youth championships uh, at this stage obviously we're following as everyone is the ACU advice 
if we do run it, then we're looking at probably our September meeting, which is penciled in. I think it was the 27th of September off the top of my head. Mm. Um, again, that's down to the ACU, um, whether any championships go ahead this year. And then if not, and we pick up again next year, then hopefully we get the chance to give you another crack and, and try again next year. Um, but yeah, there's nothing really to add at the minute. As I said earlier, no one's been at the track. Um, so our July date, you know, in all honesty, is probably not going to run. Um, we can only just uh, hope that possibly get a couple of club meetings towards the end of the season. If not, roll on 2021. Yeah, it's uh, it, you know, there's still that there's still that option for the uh, end of September, and there's a little bit of hope. But obviously, at the moment, they've said that there's no youth racing, so we'll have to sort of wait and see on that one there was a mention it was mentioned in the trc about running the championships next year there's still it's no decisions made at all yet but uh those clubs that ran them this year are uh, will be the you know first refusals for next year i'm almost certain of it um it was fairly unanimous with the committee so yeah i mean i know lots of people are looking forward to frittenden running in 2021 uh but they were looking forward to 2020 as well uh, so I'm just going to invite onto the show now uh, Neil, uh, Neil Woodoops, who is from the VMCC. This guy wants to be a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next voice you're going to hear Hi, will Garrett. be Neil. Hi Neil, all right. Yeah, we're, fine, thanks. We're uh, we're just live on the uh, on the podcast at the minute, and we're talking about uh, the British Championships for. Uh, 2020 and obviously VMCC which is the club that you're obviously heavily involved with um, have had had to sort of have a good look at that so so what's the position of the VMCC going going forward? Well like most people you know we're concerned about the safety of not only riders and officials but the general public as well and when you look at the regulations there's so much that you can do and I don't think it's just the VMCC I think it's you know grass track in general that can you control things such as number of riders in the pit boxes, social distancing in car parking? Yeah. Um, and we've looked at all of that, and we feel like most people that no, we cannot control that in a safe environment, and therefore we took the painful decision to say, "Sorry, lads, um, we can't do it." Yeah. And uh, is, is the club running, is there any plans to run at all in, in 2020 or have you sort of shelved the season? At the moment, we have said no, we will not consider running any meetings. But of course, you know, that's subject to change by government legislation, by those people. But the VMCC is run by, and they'll not like me for saying this, <laughs> but we are, <laughs> we are an elderly generation. And... It's unfair, I think, to put more burden on those people. Yeah. You know, than, than what it already is. Yeah, definitely. It, it's a sorry state that we're in, um, without doubt, you know, and I'm sure every club feels the same. I mean, Ben must have felt that when they cancelled the upright championships. Yeah, it's true though, Ben, isn't it? Like, there's a lot of um, a lot of sort of burden on, on the club members, really. Just got, yeah, you got to think of everyone, not just the riders or the spectators. It's, it's literally like... Like Neil just said, I couldn't put it better myself. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a real shame, Neil, because obviously um, it was really nice. It was good to see the VMCC putting in for a, a British Championships, and obviously the Pre 75 Championships is a real apt one for the VMCC. But, you know, hopefully 2021, um, they'll want to sort of do something like that again. Well, yes, I mean, I, I wrote to the ACU not so long ago and informed them, you know, that, of the decision that we won't be running this season, but asked to be considered for 2021. 
and their answer that came back was that they're very much hoping that clubs that put it in for championship this year will be available to do them next year. They'll sort of get, you know, first pick. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I've said for a long time that the VMCC is the club to do the pre-75s. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it, really? It does yeah, make sense. Yeah. And uh, and that was due to be ugly, wasn't it? Um, no. Oh, no, it's, no. Yeah, I remember. I've just remembered. Where was where Where is your new venue? We have got the use of the Leamington Victory Club field. Yeah. Victory field, just uh, outside Warwick. What well, was uh, Midshires? That's right. And they ran the Master Midshires there a few times. Indeed, yes. Yeah. I mean, we're we're very grateful to uh, Leamington Vic yeah. for the use of the field, and also to a gentleman called Mervyn Hill. Yeah. Who has been a big instigator in, in getting us there. Yeah, Mervyn's been sort of offering that field around quite a bit. So it's, yeah, really good to. Uh, good to know that you know a club like vmcc are taking it up really but yeah well you know it's it's good to hear that 2021 might be an option and good to think that you're already sort of putting yourself forward for for the acu for um doing that as well because i think that you know lots of us are thinking at the moment that 2020 is not going to happen and it'd be nice to get all the championship rounds uh in the diary you know before we even finish the year i agree i agree um, we're already starting, you know, making plans. I was talking to Luke Tuck uh, yeah. only last week, yeah. uh, and we're already starting to put plans together on where we, you know, where we're going to go. Not only with the championship, uh, three seventy five, but of course with our own uh, meetings as well. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds, you know, a bit of positive in the negative times, I suppose, Neil. I think it's one of those things you've, you've got to stand back and say, okay, if this year's not going to happen, let's regroup, let's look at where we can take the sport forward for next season. Yeah. So okay, let's look at it with fresh eyes, a fresh start. Perfect. That's fine. Okay. Well, Neil, thanks for joining us anyway, and uh, yeah, good to hear from the VMCC, and and we wish you all the best for well, not this season, but obviously for 2021. Okay. Well, thank you ever so much for inviting me. I've enjoyed it. Uh, good luck to you all. Stay safe, and we look forward to seeing everybody in 2021. Thank you. Cheers, Neil. Thanks, Gareth. Bye, Thanks, boys. Bye. 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 We'll get on another um, person to talk to us, and we will hear now from Mr. Will Penfold. And Will, obviously, is heavily involved in the Masters qualifier. Hello. Hello, mate. All right. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, all good. We're just uh, just recording the Grass Trap Banter podcast, and we're just talking to some people who are doing the championship rounds. And obviously, your club, GTSA were due to run the qualifier this weekend but obviously we're guessing that's not happening <laughs> no, no. no so what's the what's the latest with the club what's the sort of you know what's the thinking um to be honest with you we haven't because of what's been going on we haven't even had any committee meetings so we've we've not had a get together um or a chat a few of us have had a little chat like like yeah spoken to each other on the phone now and then yeah like i think generally nothing is going to happen um I've, I've been in talks with with jonathan and uh the thinking is there between us. We're, we're thinking we're going to get the, the track dug up and relayed and make it good for next year because I don't think anything positive is really going to come from this year. Yeah. If you do manage to come something, I, I think you, you could potentially put a club in financial difficulty for when things are good to go again. It's a massive risk. You need The public need confidence to be able to come to these events. And we've got to be confident that we're going to get the public because the, the spectators are the ones who pay for it. Yeah, yeah, we've sort of said the same here, really, because obviously there's a few people that are thinking of running meetings up behind closed doors. But yeah, we just don't think it's financially viable. Certainly, uh, you know, Luke and Ben have both said that for their clubs, they couldn't run without a crowd. No, no, 
that. We, we, we could run without, with, without a crowd and lose, but then it won't put us in a very good position for next year for whatever we want to do. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, we need to talk about this as a, as a committee. That's just, yeah, the few people I've spoken to, that's just our general feeling of things. Yeah. But, like, yeah, if we, if we invest, if this, this sort of, what, what's happened now, if we invest the time that we've got now, into putting it into the ground, we've got a good ten months for it to settle down before whatever we do next year. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I, I I really personally don't think it's worth doing anything this year. Yeah, yeah. I know that there was talk that um, you know it was suggested that you guys ran the qualifier the week before the Masters, but um, yeah, that came with its own problems, really. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, we've not actually heard anything from the ACU apart from the general letter that everyone's been been getting the emails. Yeah. Um, we've not had anything from the ACU saying, "Oh, like obviously you can tell this isn't this isn't going to be running, but this is a contingency plan of what's happening." We've had nothing like that, so we've made no contingency plan. Yeah. Um, ourselves, because generally yeah, we just don't don't know what's happening. Yeah, and I don't think anyone does. I think that's half the trouble with it, really. But um. Yeah, I was going to just jump in, um, Gareth. It's sort of very reassuring that you're going to sort of spend some time wisely. Um, working on the track. Is there any plans to make it a more permanent feature? Um, uh, yeah, we, we have been discussing a way of boarding the track, but right. obviously not boarding the whole thing. It would, I, yeah, I, I would try and look into a way of doing it in a kit form. Okay. So that, so that the track went up, you've done one side down by the pond. Yeah. Um, it would give us a lot more space, and uh, yeah, we could move the track over a lot. And it'd make it it'd make it a little bit longer. Board across behind the start lines, across there, and down past the pond. Right. And you could get more cars in. It just give us more more track space and more more public space. Right. Um, but it would have to come down just because of like where there's footpaths that go through the field and things like that. So it wouldn't be able to be permanent. But we have been looking into a way of, of trying to do that, but we've yet to come up with an idea to make it secure but easy to put up and put down. Oh right. It's just. I'm thinking is it's, it would save a lot of man hour, man hours. You go all the way around marking it out for four rows of rope and a car rope, and then you go all the way around it again, roping it and roping it. Whereas, yeah, you just you just work your way, work, mark mark out a straight line and work your way along and, and put the fencing up. And yeah, I think that would be a lot quicker way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, you sort uh, of said the same. I think um, Russ, it was one of you, Russell or Ben, you said the same the other week about uh, it save a lot of labour, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think I mentioned it, Gareth, to do with sort of like Holland and and we think obviously the Father and the Cycle Club are doing something similar, don't we? Yeah. Um, uh, with their venue in um, Highlands Park. Yeah, well, it sounds really good, Will. I mean, it's obviously there's big ambition in the club. I know that you know the Masters was amazing last year and was meeting of the year and rightly so. Um, so yeah, obviously big ambitions for. It, you know, it sounds great. There's obviously a lot of work goes into the track, and it sounds like there's even more going into the track now as well. Now that you've got a bit of bit of breathing space and a bit of time to do it. Yeah, and, and that's that's what I mean. Like, so if we was to rush and try and put a meeting on later on in the year, I'm not saying that we will, and I'm not saying that we won't, but to potentially lose lose club assets in doing that and finances. Yeah. We won't be in a position where we could maybe do the, like try and board it or, or make it a little bit better and buy the club some equipment and like with Jonathan and, and his team of like where they dig the track up and relay it and all that like it, it could affect things by this uncertainty of what's going on at the minute yeah we, we could sort of damage the club um, yeah so to do that you've really, you've really got to be 
sure and confident in the times, and I'm not sure he can be. No, no, and it's you know it's, it is like you've said, it's big risk, but obviously really good position that GTSA are in with. It's probably worth mentioning Jonathan. Lots of people will know Jonathan Duke. Uh, if you've not, uh, if you don't know him personally, you would have seen his name, I'm sure, in the past. And he's a really handy man to have around up down there, isn't he? Oh, definitely. Like he, yeah, he, uh, yeah. I spoke to him this week, I think, for over an hour, and just talking about grass track and um, the track and that. And like, yeah, he he's the one who has the ideas with like the method of how the track gets dug up and relayed. He done it, I think it was in 2015 or 16, and it's lasted real good. And then he just like maintains it lightly with the power harrow. Um, but like this technique was what was used at Collier Street like in the past and it, it did work but it obviously needs to be redone and it needs a decent amount of time for it to to settle yeah, um, yeah and he, he's the one who puts all his like the effort into the ground and that and all our equipment's like kept kept at his farm and yeah a, a lot of the equipment we, we borrowed from him as well and, and and that and like Lewis has got a massive interest in it yeah. um, he started doing the pit bike speedway and uh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, we'd, we'd be we'd be knackered without them, like. Yeah, yeah, really helps. Really, it's really helped the club to, well, to pull off what they did last year, I suppose, with the Masters. I mean, it's it was no accident that that came about like it did. No, that was it. Like we done the qualifier, the track surface was perfect for then, then, and that's when we said, right, it's it's now or never. When we had a when we had a chat that we got we go for the Masters, and it, yeah, and it paid out. The track didn't hold up as good as it did for the qualifier. But yeah. it was, yeah, one of the best best it had been, and that's, um, yeah, and that's why it's now time to reinvest, reinvest in the ground and let it, yeah, dig it up and let it settle. Yeah, sounds good. On a on a personal level, with your riding, Will, have um, done anything with the bikes? Any new equipment at all? Um, yeah, we well, it sort of stopped. We 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 was having stuff done, so um, I'm trying to get a left hander back together again. One that was uh, my dad's from years ago it's the one that he rode and like had all his success on and it was yeah my granddad he'd done all the engine and bits and pieces of it over the years and uh yeah my dad my granddad used to um do all the mechanics and my, and my dad and my uncle nigel rode it uh so i've, I've managed to source that back about five years ago and we've been that's a beta in god and uh we've been building that up ready to come out on this year but we've sort of just held fire on it at the minute because of what's yeah obviously because of what's happened yeah um we just sort of everything's ground to a halt. But there is there is things sort of in the pipeline, ready to get going again. Uh, but yeah, it, it will be done for whenever something does happen. If it happens. Yeah, and obviously the sidecar speedway as well. Something you've got yourself right into now. Oh yeah, yeah, love that. Yeah, that's that's all there, ready to go. Um, yeah, we've done the practice at King's Lynn, and then we've we've had nothing since. But yeah, when that all manages to start up, if anything, I could see the speedway happening first, just because. They could, they could run at a drop of a hat because they haven't got to set all the track up and do everything. It's all there and it's permanent. Yeah. So it's a lot less organisation, well, I say less organisation, more physical man, manpower put into it to run at short notice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd like to be doing some practice soon. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people, well, we were saying before, riders' point of view, everyone's just desperate to get on their bikes at the minute, but... Uh... Yeah, there's no well, there's a little few glimmers of light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, yeah, we'll have to sort of wait and see. We'll have to wait and see, really. Yeah. Well, Will, thanks for joining us. Anyway, it's uh, yeah, good to hear about GTSA, and obviously, um, hopefully, we get to see uh, see a bit of racing soon. But for now, it's good to know that you know GTSA's coming along really nicely, ready for 2021, maybe. 
Yeah, that's it. We're, yeah, we're all positive and we're all keen, and uh, we want to see the grass track do well. So that's why we just we, we like to put our best into it. Yeah. All right then, Will. Thanks very much for joining us. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. Bye bye. 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 Right. Okay. So that, there's Will Penfold, and our third and final uh, person that we're going to speak to uh, is Mr. Steve Palmer, and Steve is the chairman of the Lebri Club. And Lebri, as you probably know, were due to uh, run the British Championships, and I know that Ben and uh, well, all three of you really were probably going to take part in that. So you were very excited about that at Lebri. Um, so we'll talk to Steve now and see what the crack is with Lebri Club. Hello, Steve. It's Gareth uh, on Hello, the Grassroots Banter podcast. How are you doing? All right, thank you. We're just uh, just calling a few people to find out, you know, the people that are running some of the championship meetings, and obviously yeah. your your club, Ledbury, were due to well, still are due to run the uh, the British Championships yeah. in September. So uh, well, you know, what's the thinking at the moment? Uh, well, from the club's perspective, we would like to run it, obviously. Um, but you know, from the we just got to be guided by the government, really, and and the the practicality of it all. Yeah, um, that's our big concerns is the the financial risk, obviously, um, safeguarding the people involved. Our helpers are more mature, shall I say? I won't say they're old, but they're yeah. more mature. Um, which obviously we you know we don't want anybody there. We have a lot of people, sixty plus, fifty plus which are involved with the club. Um, you know, a lot of uh, practical problems like cases and toilets and everything else. And for first aid, um, we just you know, feel we've got to be guided by the government and, and see how we go. But, we, you know, we're quite prepared to, you know, if it came practical and, that, you know, they let us have some spectators, that we would have a go for it. Yeah, one of the things that lots of people are talking about is obviously a lot of sports are running behind closed doors at the minute, but uh, yeah, we yeah. we certainly don't think that's financially viable from judging by most people's points of view. No, no, it, you know, it is a costly business these days. Um, you know, we ain't like Premier League footballers. We don't go and earn lots of money from anything. So, you know, there is a big financial thing and a lot of clubs, ourselves included, we ain't got untold resources. We, you know, we're comfortable probably could do two or three meetings without any supporters but then we wouldn't have no money at all yeah so it is, that, that is probably one of the biggest biggest things um you know i mean where we are if cannot if the virus can find us up there we got no chance yeah <laughs> yeah it's um it's uh you know it's it's at the moment nobody really knows so you know it's good to know that the plans are still in place and if it's possible you'll still run but obviously if there is no racing for 2020, then there's always the possibility of, of next season, I guess. Yes, I mean we'd be more than willing to, to have a go with you know with the same championship next year. Um, the club was very very keen this year to do it um, and put on a bit of a spectacle. You know, we wanted to try and boost it up a bit, and, and I think the riders like to come to us. Um, and the other thing which I think would be a concern for riders and, and the club really would be the lack of track time that riders have had leading up to a championship yeah you know you, I mean you could be talking one meeting before perhaps or two meetings yeah uh, not ideal preparation I mean they you know they they probably hardly run their bike um, yeah definitely not in anger you know and it, I think it's I think you know to be honest I, you know I, I think the government has got to make a big big switch 
and the ACU have got to, you know, say, well, that, you know, we'll back you if this is what you're going to do. Um, and I think, you know, we got to be guided by them and the government. Yeah. On the day of the Brits, everyone obviously always seems to find an extra sort of 10 to 20% of uh, a performance within themselves, don't they? And um, I'm sure if you had that as the first meeting, it would be uh, a recipe for a bit of a disaster, probably, for some of us. We, you know, we've been involved in the sport and we know what can happen in a championship. You get pulled along a bit quicker. Yeah. Uh, by the good, you know, the top riders, you, you do go a bit quicker. Yeah. Uh, and it's sometimes you're not quite quite ready if you haven't had a few meetings under your belt and got back up to the speed of it. No. Um, our, our other big concern, really, as well, is if we are allowed spectators, the age of the grass track spectators, again, is quite high. Yeah. You know, um, I would say probably the average age of grass, grass track spectator would be, again, 60 plus. Yeah. Um, which again is a concern, you know, if we got to you know, look after them and try and enforce distancing and, and everything else. Yeah. So I think the practicality of it is is that it's looking grim from the practicality point of view, but we don't know what happens one day to the next, almost, do we, at the moment? No, not at the moment. It's all very uncertain, but... Uh... But uh, obviously, Ledbury got the uh, the new venue that they've been using, and obviously, you're all pretty pleased with the new venue because um, yeah, lots of real good reports from that last year. Yes, I mean that was a, that was a a big step into the unknown. Really, we'd never used the field. Um, we didn't know what it would do, what it would be like. So we gave riders lots of room, and, and yes, we had very favourable reports, uh, which I was really grateful. I thought it could. It could go one of two ways. It yeah. could be an absolute disaster, or it would work. But yes, yeah, so we had really good feedback from that meeting. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, everyone seems to, to speak highly of it. Yeah, we would look to use that field again um, during the season, whether it be for one or two meetings, and one or two on the other on the on the dip field. Um, yeah. Which is my personal favourite, but I don't ride anymore, so it don't matter. <laughs> Yeah, Ben doesn't like that one because he, uh, that's where he seems to crash a bit, I think, Ben, isn't that? Oh, he he, he does yeah. seem to crash there, doesn't he? Yeah, he does like a good crash at that place, but he's, uh, yeah, I think he like, he's pretty, much more looking forward to the new venue, I think, because I don't think you've ridden there yet, Ben, have you? Have you ridden there, Ben? No, I missed the meeting there last year. Yeah, he's not, he's uh, not, uh, yeah, uh, was keen for this year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely keen. But uh, yeah, obviously Ledbury going from strength to strength, Steve, and obviously you and 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 Sally and everyone else that's involved doing uh, such a good I, I job. Mean, I, must, I must admit, without Sally, um, perhaps we wouldn't have quite as much drive because she is, you know, she is the driving force behind most of it. Um, I'm just quite happy to drive round on the tractor and do the track. That's that's my <laughs> part of the job. Done. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we we got a good team. We got a good bunch of people. And, and we have sort of, I think we make quite big strides, and you know we we aim to. Our main focus is always the riders and racing. You know that's what we love to see. That's what we we aim to keep them happy, if we possibly can. Hence we have sixty races at meeting. You know, and um, but yeah, that's our main concern is for the riders and and, and English grass track, British grass track. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no, there isn't many, there aren't many better really at the moment. It's you know. Oh, it, thank you for that. Definitely, fair, you know, it's a really good place to go up in the Western Centre, and everyone enjoys riding there. And, and 
you know the entries you get speak volumes really i think that's you know people vote with their feet don't they yeah we have been very you know very lucky um to stumble on the field really in the first place and i think the move to that venue uh at sparrington yeah probably moved moved the club on a fair way really yeah Um, and we got a great farmer up there as well so yeah which is all good yeah makes all the difference right well thanks for joining us steve it's you know really good to hear and and hopefully, uh, you know, all the best for, well, if we do get to the 19th of September and you can run that meeting, obviously we'll all be there with bells on. But um, if yeah. not, then all the best for 2021. And I'm sure that at some point we'll see Ledbury hosting a really good British Championships that won't be rain affected uh, and won't be coronavirus affected and <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's look all, let me all look forward to that day, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks very much, Steve. Take care. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. So there we go. Sort of similar messages from everyone, really, boys. Everyone's just waiting for uh, for some guidance, really, aren't they, from the government and, and the ACU in hand? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's, it's just just a waiting game at the moment for every for every walk of life and grass track. Really, is no different at the moment. But uh, yeah, nice to hear from uh, Neil and Will and of course Steve as well. Great for, to have them on. And uh, next week we'll be hearing from Graham Hurry, who's the man at Astra who were running the Masters, uh, and obviously we'll hear from Matt Weir. Who's, uh, well, we feel has been put in a bit of a position with regards to running the uh, the uh, Euro final. But, you know, we'll get his point of view next week and he might say, see it differently. So coming up next on the Grass Track Banter podcast, we've got our Outside the Pegs interview or our first part of our Outside the Pegs interview with Mr. Joe Screen. So please enjoy. So this week on the Outside the Pegs interview on the Grass Trap Banter podcast, I'm delighted to introduce somebody who is a three times British Masters champion. Um, before that, he was a British 350 champion, and I think people forget that. He's also away from Grass Track, the World Under 21 Speedway champion many years ago, and he's been the British champion as well. But he's a very likeable character, and I'm delighted to introduce him, Joe Screen. How you doing, mate? Hello there, I'm all right, thank you. Strange uh, times, but I'm doing well. Yeah, really strange times, and we'll probably get onto that in a minute, but... Uh, it's been a few years now since you retired, so how's retirement treating you? Good, mate. I've never been so busy, to be fair. Um, you know, I've never really had much jobs when I, when I used to race, so um, when the racing finished, I had to sort of work. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, it's been good, mate. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. The, the, the line of work I'm doing um, is looking after dogs and cats when people go away, so um, I'm an animal lover, and I love what I do. So, um, you know, another job which I like doing. So is that what uh, what forced the reti- retirement? Was it the setting up of the business? Uh, yeah, well, I wanted to retire probably four or five years before I actually did, but um, I wasn't ready. And then, as I say, we, we bought this the farm and the, the, the animal business for something for me to do straight after Speedway. But it, it, it took some time to sort out. But, yeah, we're here now and, uh, yeah, can't look back. Enjoying it. Yeah, going very well. Well... Um, uh, we, we'll sort of talk about it in a minute we'll talk about how uh, a lot of us were quite upset to see you go and uh, it was a shame that you, you packed up racing but obviously everything's going well but I mean that's the end of the story but really I'd quite like to start at the beginning of the story and talk about how um, sort of motorcycle racing and, and grass track racing in particular began for you so where did it where did it all begin for you what's your early memories of racing my father really I think um, my dad he tried to have a go himself um, and then when I came along I don't think he could afford to do it for both of us and basically pushed me at a young age travelled around the country you know doing grass tracks junior grass tracks and um, yeah basically yeah throwing me in a van and saying right we're going (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of dads would go take him to sort of football or or something like that. So, I mean, he obviously he obviously had a passion for motorcycle <laughs> racing. I'm guessing. Yeah, I think he was a speedway fan. I think he used to go to Sheffield Speedway and um, say so he used to pr- practice himself uh, on and off. Um, but yeah, vaguely remember a lot of that back then. You know what I mean? I've had too many bangs on the head since <laughs> since growing up, and uh, yeah, I, I do I do uh, to, to forget a lot of things. Yeah, well, I mean, he was obviously pushing you there, but the uh, the youth grass track scene at the time was unbelievable. I mean that. The amount of superstars, really, that were being churned out at the time. You know, you're talking not a, li- a little bit older than you, but sort of Mark Lorem, Paul Hurry was a bit younger than you. I mean, there was just, just it was like a conveyor belt of stars at the time. Maybe there was a lot of riders, you know. There's a lot of riders, what sort of, um, was very good grass track, junior grass track riders, and then failed to be spear riders. So, um, you, you know what I mean? It was great, great to be a part of. And uh, as I say, I still got a lot of friends from my early grass track days, like with Paul Lorry, he's a good friend of mine. You know, Mark Lauren, a good friend of mine. So yeah, it's great to see um, see some of the boys making it. Yeah. Well, was there ever a bit of because obviously you, a lot of the people that we're talking about there, you all your careers always ran parallel, really, and and you all went through the grass track, youth grass track scene. You, some of you still did a lot of grass track, some a bit of grass track, some didn't do any. Um, but was there always a little bit of sort of camaraderie between those of you that have come through the ranks? Do you think? No, no, no. Me and Mark's always got. I, I, I look up to Mark. I think Mark, Mark Lauren was, um, you know, the, the, the special rider, as in he could win grass tracks, long tracks, and he, he won the world championship on speedway. And um, I always looked up to Mark, and always, you know, and same with him. You know, when we raced each other, you, we, were, we were really good mates, and you'd have a beer with each other the night before, and then we'd try and knock, knock the shit out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, we travelled the country together. We, we started Polish League in '92 together. Well, halfway through the season, Mark joined just over, um, and we came good travelling buddies from then on. But as I say, when I was sort of 15 years old, my dad used to take me out to Hackney, and Graham Hurry uh, became a good, you know, Graham. The, well, the Hurry family became a good, good family friends, and um, we spent a lot of time down down at Hackney, and um, where, where I hung out with Mark and, and say Paul Hurry. You know, so it was great times, you know, and and, and say the grass that lads, it was great to see people make it from there, you know, but a lot of good rides, as I said before, didn't sort of make it, which um, which was surprising sometimes. Yeah, we sort of, some of them just sort of vanished, don't they? And there was a few riders as well that were in the youth scene when you were riding who, who were brilliant grass trackers uh, as kids and then never, never raced with the grass track once they sort of hit adults and went straight into Speedway. And we sort of see a lot of that still today, but... Um, you know yourself. You sort of dabbled a little bit you, to start with. I think you were probably full on grass track, weren't you, to begin to begin your adult yeah. career? Yeah, I don't. I don't think I really rode speedway until I was fifteen, uh, fourteen, fifteen. Um, so yeah, everything was speedway uh, grass track for me. You know, and then as I say, where the career was going, it's I got lucky draw with 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 some of the people who sort of took me under their wing at an early age uh, which helped me a hell of a lot you know and and I owe a lot of people a lot of um, you know for the time and effort they put into me at that, that age you know it could have gone either way and uh, some good people behind me stuck up for me yeah well I mean you come out of the youth grass track and you were sort of straight away um, you know immediately you lit the sport up really I think in your first adult year you won the 350 title um, were you sort of surprised at 
because you know when you come in from the youth up to the adults you don't know what sort of pace you're going to have were you surprised at the time how quickly you were sort of thrashed into the limelight really as one of the top riders well yeah well yeah really it's um you know i didn't blink really you know i didn't have time to blink before things started kicking off um you know leaving school i think on a wednesday racing for bellevue probably the same week and then um you know the grass track scene kept going as well with the with the likes of bill davis um lending me a, a grass track bike early doors um which i went down to collier street i think and one down there one of my first ever meetings but you know the 350 i don't think i've ever ridden a 350 before i won the british championship before that day so um that was a surprise because i went into into the 250 and 350 british championship knowing i could what well expecting to win the 250 because i was a the year before riding the same sort of machinery um so it was like the, the 350 was a massive surprise um wow. and it, so yeah it was quite quite a, a fast start up as in you know i didn't know where, where i was good just going i was just getting on the bike and riding and then traveling so um as i say the people behind me sort of helped me more than myself at the end of you know the start off you know giving me aspect I, as i say bill davis lending me a, a grass bike you know and, and you know i had many Roy Holding from Diamond H Transport getting involved straight away and um, yeah he was a grass track um, fan through and through which he sponsored you know the likes of Peter Collins Andy Riley you know his son Steve Road and you know hundreds of people he helped through the grass track scene and that's where my my career went further than some of them because I had the right you know the people behind me yeah yeah it makes a big difference I think and there's a lot of kids I think that are coming up into adults that are relying on their fathers or or getting a job and they just don't get the same opportunity so i think it's definitely you know something that's lacking a little bit probably at the minute yeah it's definitely that way you know if you've got rich parents it's a lot easier or you know you've got somebody on your wing as i say roy holding um took me under his wing at a very early age and um i don't think even you know my dad got me so far but then i needed the next step with somebody else or some other people and peter collins helped me in a way you know, be riding wise. I don't know. I was just. It seemed to sort of click, but um, you know, I, it wasn't for not 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 practicing and training and and able to ride the bikes. It was uh, you know, I was just getting the right brakes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it did really sort of snowball from there because you had that first year on the grass at sort of sixteen years old, uh, and then the following season, ninety one and ninety two, you were in the adults and you know there were some big meetings about at that point especially you know all of, all over the world but uh particularly in the uk there was the aces the burn up the masters the barks bonanza the Wimborne Whopper, everything you know it was big meeting after big meeting and you as a 17 year old were at the pointy end of all of that with some really big names as well i mean it must have been absolute magic it was yeah it, as i say i wasn't growing up i, I didn't really idolize anybody you know i didn't know who what a lot of riders were you know peter collins i've heard of you know, it was like Dougie Wire, some of the Speedway guys, grass track guys. I didn't, you know, like Simon, Simon Wig. I knew of him, but I didn't know how good he was on the grass till, till sort of I went to the Ace of Aces, I think, in, in when I got a special licence to do it. I think, was it in 90 or 91? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. And then, then it woke me up. But when you're riding against the best riders in the world, especially on the grass, you know, you do you know you do pick it up you, you, you do learn quicker than um, than riding and winning races on your own out in front all the time it's, it's great to ride or race against somebody who's 100% better than you and see if you can keep up with them <laughs> and that's yeah. what, what happened I got through the, some big meetings early doors and um, 
you know, I took it with arms open. You know, I just went for it, and um, it seemed to pay off. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's been a shift in the in in grass track, and I'm sure you're aware of it lately. Whereby, you know, those early years between the age of sort of 17 and sort of 22, 23, the grass tracks you were going to, you had like Mark Lauren, Paul Hurry, Simon Wiggs, Steve Schofield, Jeremy Doncaster, you know, name after name after name. And then, sort of later in your career, you were turn, you were coming to grass tracks, and there were still a couple of quick riders around, but but you were always, you know, it it came to a point where it was like, well, we'll screen you win that, like. You know, they, they, the competition faded away, didn't it? I don't know. You know, you can't. You can't. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't. You know, hundred percent. There's, there's riders out there. What the way you look at? You know, on their day. You know, I used to. I used to rate Paul Fry on, on his day on, on a rough, fast track. He was as fast as Simon Wig. You know, yeah. um, so there's, there was riders out there what didn't get sort of um, the respect they should have done, um, but. You know, it was hard back then. You know, there was a lot of there was a lot of good riders in the early days. And, yeah. Um, you know, it did it did fade out, but you know, there's still a lot of good riders out there now. You know what I mean? It's um, I haven't been for a few years, but you, you know, you, you, I do read about the riders what are riding. They're still good competi- competitors, especially abroad. You know, in, in in France and Germany and the Dutch, yeah. still good riders out there. Yeah, well, I mean, we're hoping at the minute that it's a more it's a bit of a resurgence to those sorts of years. I mean, we've probably we've probably got a decent as long as they don't go off to speedway which obviously we'll probably get to in a minute with yourself but they they sort of there's about a handful of riders you know eight to ten riders at the minute who could be or are already world class and um it's all good for the sport but it's the first time since really since you were doing your thing sort of in the mid early to mid 90s so yeah yeah well the speedway sort of let's say with me the speedway took over which, which was a shame but um you know, there's the grass track scene now. There's not very many world class speedway riders. What go and do your local grass track is it nowadays? You know where we used to do. You know, and um, that's a shame. You know, the, the, your grass track riders are grass track riders, and your speedway riders are speedway riders. It seems to be today. Yeah, yeah. We've we've talked actually a lot to some other riders. Trevor Banks talked about this, and James Shane has talked about it, and uh, Yannick de Jong. We spoke to last week, and they've all talked about how the sort of grass track well long track as well grass track long track and speedway whether they're a help to to your riding style or whether they're a hindrance and there's a lot of all you know all of the people we speak to have got a different opinion on it well mate grass track 100% for me helped my career whatever whatever people say and riding a grass track you know you ride four laps around a grass track on a rough say a Berks Bonanza track you know, you probably could do 30 bloody laps on a speedway bike, you know, and, and, and not get the same sort of workout. Yeah. <laughs> so, speedway, you know, it's, it sounds like speedway is a lot easier and, and than, than, than the grass track, you know what I mean? I have seen a lot of good speedway riders ever go on a grass track bike and struggle, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, so it's, it, it's down to the person himself, you know, if he's, if he's, you know, if he's any good, he'll do good on both. Yeah. Yeah, and there are some that can do good on both, I guess. But um, yeah, it's just that some riders seem to get themselves dialed into speedway and then can't move them away from grass track. And then other riders go the grass track route and then they can't make a, make any inroads into the speedway scene. Yeah, no, I, I, this, going from grass track to speedway, I, you know, I can't understand that because it is it is a lot easier speedway to ride than grass track. If you went from speedway to grass track, I understand that bit because there is a lot of difference. You know, the tracks are a hell of a lot rougher, and you know your style's got to be a little bit 
different. Um, you know, I, I think I got away with it a lot of times because I leg trailed. You know, <laughs> and um, you know, I think you can't ride. Well, back in the day, you couldn't sort of ride a lot of them rough tracks without leg trading. Yeah, um, and that, that's what you know. But the other way around, is say if you started from grass tracking, you was out, out of control leg trailing. You wouldn't make it in speedway. Yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's all sorts you can say, you know. It is. I do believe that grass tracks are a lot harder to race and speedway. You know what I mean? That's that's all I'll put it down to. It's a lot, lot difficult. Yeah, it, it's that, at, I, at the top level, not 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 your club grass tracking is good, but some of the club grass tracks I've been to, the tracks, you know, I've seen, you know, are, are quite rough and ready. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I was doing them rough tracks early doors, so. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of grew up with all that roughness, mm. um, but as I say, if I only did to be way, you know, it's. Um, I don't think I would have gone into grass track the same. No, yeah, and I think there's a lot that are like that. But just yeah. picking up on what you said about leg trailing, because I've I've never ridden a solo. I'm obviously a keen, you know, keen fan of the solos, and always have been, but never yeah. ridden one. Always been sidecars. But um, Ben and Russell, who are the also the sort of co-hosts on the show, they. They both race 250 solos and they talk about leg trading quite a bit. And um, obviously you, you were, like you say, a bit of a leg trailer, but it, you know, it doesn't, it certainly, you never certainly looked out of control. No, no, yeah, I don't know that it's hard, you know, people used to slave me for leg trading and, and having my bars low and stuff like that, but you are what you are, you know what I mean? My my left foot now is proper knackered, you know, I've got arthritis, pretty bad in it, I've, I've shattered it through a spear injury, oh. uh, and so, you know, I can't feel my big toes, that's still numb, and that was from leg trailing, so I'm Oh, right. <laughs> so, so, being a leg trailer in later lives, Ain't good kids. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get it planted, get the front wheel planted if you can. Yeah, well, yeah, but as I say, I don't think I would have raced in some of them tracks I raced at. You know, yeah, say Burke's Barns, it was known to be quite a roughish track. You know, you upper. You've seen some of the videos from from Bob Russell's videos there. He's um, which I've been watching quite a few at the moment, and and, and I can't believe some of them tracks how how rough they did get, um, and at the pace we were going at. Yeah, but dealing with it, I mean it. That's one thing that we come keep coming back to in you know when we're talking about because Bob is putting all these videos on and obviously you feature heavily in quite a lot of them and yeah some of the tracks are rough but everyone just got on with it we don't we don't really have that anymore you know if and I mean the ninety four aces is one that we've talked about recently and my god like it was like the worst it was the one when it had the puddle in the middle of the track yeah and, I don't uh, think I did too good there, I don't think no I did. no but I mean well you got on with it as I say but yeah, that was down to being Barclay want, wanting to ride free promoter you know wanting to put a show on he's put a big effort out there and you know your top stars were getting probably start money as well so you had to put a little bit of effort back in to the promoter and um, some of these speedway riders and that what they used to get the ace of aces you know was there to put a show on yeah, uh, and now it's a bit different now. So it's near the end of this thirteenth episode of the Grass Track Banter podcast. Obviously, as always, if you've heard anything that you've uh, got thoughts or opinions on, do get in touch with us. Grass Track Banter podcast at outlook dot com. Um, obviously, we've slimmed down this episode a little bit, but. We've had lots of uh, lots of input from you know the various clubs and obviously Joe Screen and several other things and there's lots to try and pick apart and talk about. So a couple of a uh, couple of segments have gone by the wayside, but we'll have some of those back for next time. But one thing that we definitely have made sure we've done is a little bit of homework from the boys. Uh, and this time, Gavin Davis, 
uh, who got in touch with the show, gave us a just for lols, and he said perhaps we should do some grass strap lockdown food. And his suggestion was uh, a pool, a good pool fry up, um, which I thought was quite good. So I had a bit of a go, but I, I have to say it's a poor effort this week, boys, on my part. But I think some of you have got a decent, had a decent run. So we'll go round the table, our lockdown food table. I've got one from quite a long way away to start us off, so you might not have even heard of this one. So my first one, obviously, packet of crisps. We've got Lawson crisps. Uh, ben, you can go next. Uh, you put me under the spot here a little bit. I'm going to go for Granny Smith Appleton. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's actually very good. Russell? I had that one as well. Uh, Granny Smith, but yeah, I had the Appleton. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go for a, a bacon roll when I'm there. I'm gonna have some uh, Graham Brown sauce on that. <laughs> oh. Graham Brown is a is a favourite on this segment. Luke, uh, well, to uh, to make any food or any food, you need a Gary cookbook. Oh dear. <laughs> I've got. Uh, you could have a Harlan cookbook or a Tony cookbook. Oh, well, you could. <laughs> Um, I've got more crisps. Steve, St- uh, Steve Smith and Keith Walkers. Oh, very good. Benjamin? Oh, I had Liam Brown sauce. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, us three, we're, uh, we we like to stop for a bit of a social on the way home, don't we? We all like to stop at the old uh, Rodney McDonald's. <laughs> Deary me. Oh, too easy. Luke? Uh, I've got uh, Simon Gar side salad. <laughs> Deary me. <laughs> Micro. side salad. Uh, all right, I've gone for a flap, flapjack ooglo. <laughs> uh, I'll have a Richard Piggott and Blanket at Christmas. Very good. Um, <laughs> I'm going to... Uh, I'll have a Mike Jelly Deals, please. <laughs> very good. It's very cockney. I'd like to uh, Ted Tucker into that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Luke, are you all out? Yeah, I only had the uh, two. I was struggling this time around. Oh, dear. Right, well, my last one is uh, going back many, many years. I've got uh, Ken Jones and Sausage Roland Broomfield. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Benny, all out? All out. All out. Lights out. Does that mean Russell's the winner? Uh, well, I'm out as well, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no score draw. No score draw this week. Right, big news, boys. We are well over 5,000 listens now. And there was much rejoicing, much rejoicing. So when we started the podcast, there's no way we'd have thought we'd have got 5,000 listens, I don't think. I think you all agree with that. Uh, So there is a uh, bonus episode coming up soon, and it'll be all the best bits of our Outside the Pegs interviews. Um, So look out for that soon. It'll be a bonus episode. It won't be one of the... uh, standalone episodes it'll just be all on its own it will say bonus episode it will feature all the best bits of all of our interviews from uh, Mitch Godden and Liam Brown and Trevor Banks and Yannick de Jong and who else have we had on oh, so many people now Steve Jewison uh, loads of different people and it'll be all the best bits all put into one podcast so that's to look out for to celebrate 5,000 listens so a massive massive thank you to all of you that listen uh, from all four of us uh, because it's you know we enjoy coming on here and rabbiting on at you every week or every fortnight and to get 5,000 listens is a massive achievement so I'm told that uh, startup podcasts which is what we are um, usually get nowhere near that we're in the top 10% of startup podcasts and we're in the top 15% of all sporting podcasts with 5,000 listens so I'm told apparently loads of them uh, don't get anywhere near that within 12 episodes so um, a really good achievement boys you should all be very proud of yourselves 
Well done. Are you proud? Yeah, I would be, but you've listened 4,999 times. <laughs> no, 4,998. My mum's listened as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried about the backlash when we get to the track. Yeah, I am a little bit. I'm yeah. a bit relieved, really. There's no racing going on at the moment. That is a unique thing. Is We've done 13 episodes of this now, 5,000 listens, and we haven't been to a single grass track the whole time. <laughs> Although you, I didn't comment uh, in the other day about the Grass Track Banter Awards winning an, uh, a whole raft of different awards, weren't we? Yeah, we're up for the uh, meeting of the year for the Banter Awards. Um, what else do we have? We had uh, Track of the Year, didn't we, as well? Track the, of the uh, Year. Cleanest, to- year. cleanest Toilets. <laughs> Beer Tent of the Year. Yeah, yeah, best disco, yeah. Yeah, at the moment. Sausage rolls, at, so, sausage rolls of the year. <laughs> yeah. Well, Trevsky's got them. <laughs> we'll, uh... I've got some uh, I've got some late news, Gareth. Oh, okay. Late news, just, everyone. Just to scrape in here from... Uh, I've been sent this by Rodney from... Uh, it's been linked from uh, Barnsport fan site. Um, the uh, World Long Track is down to three rounds now. Right. Uh, starting on the 8th of August in Fossa. Yeah. Uh, final two is Morizes on the 5th of September. Yeah. Uh, Rizalzo holding final three on the 26th of September. Right. And uh, the World Long Track Challenge is going to be at Roden on the 20th of September. Ah, so the uh, the World Long Track final will be at the Rezo Speedway track. Absolutely, yes. That that, that classic <sighs> long track in Poland. Yeah, dearie me. Dearie, dearie me. It, I mean, it, so, yeah, at the moment, it's a three-round championship now, yeah. I would sooner they just did Morizets and Forza, and that was it, personally. I don't know how everyone else feels about that. Mm. Well, we'll have to see. I'll have Armando on the phone next. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for the uh, Grassstrap Banter podcast. Huge thank you to Joe Screen. It's been great to catch up with Screeny and listen to what he's been up to um, and look back at some of his career. Obviously, next part of his interview is coming next time on episode 14. Big thank you to all of our listeners. As always, you make the show what it is. Big thanks again to Paul Morphy at Custom Clothing Impress Promotions. If you do want some Grassstrap Banter merchandise, when we come back racing, we would love to see lots of you dressed in uh, grass strap banter merchandise to try and promote the sport a little bit. If you want some, you can get in touch with, I think you can get in touch with Luke. Uh, you can get in touch with Paul Morphy. You can get in touch with Custom Clothing. Just say that you want some grass strap banter merchandise and I'm sure you can purchase it from him. Um, he's got the logo and everything. Uh, big thanks to Roddy of Tax Return who wrote the uh, and composed the introduction. Uh, thanks to Will Penfold for joining us and to Steve Palmer and to Neil Woodoops. Um, hopefully... There's a few glimmers of hope that we might be racing. There's certainly a lot more people on the streets at the moment, so who knows? We might see you in a farmer's field very soon. But goodbye for now. Goodbye. Ciao. Adios. Fast track racing.